Hello, this is Jay Khadija Abdurrahman, and we're on the We Be Imagining podcast. Today is Thursday, June 4th, 2020. It's approximately 2.04 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm here with my co-hosts, my guest co-hosts of today, Dr. Tao Lee Goff. Tao, how are you doing today? I'm good. Um, it's great to be here on the show, Khadija, um, as we've just started co-teaching a workshop for the Milstein program. Um, yeah, I'm an assistant professor at Cornell University in Africana Studies and Feminist and Gender and Sexuality Studies, and really excited to talk about things near and dear to my heart, such as sound, color, Black study, and methodology. And today, our featured guest on the show is Catherine McKittrick. She is a professor of gender studies at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, Canada, the author of Demonic Grounds, and she edited and contributed to Sylvia Winter on Being Human as Praxis. Her research is interdisciplinary and attends to the links between theories of liberation, Black studies, and cultural production. How are you doing today, Catherine? Hi, Khadija. Thank you for inviting me, and hi, Tao. Um, I'm doing okay. I feel, you know, I'm I'm in the bunker of our house, way, way deep. Um, I feel there's an echo here, um, but I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling good and tired and and happy to chat. Well, thank you for making the time. You would think that being sheltered in place that we all would have more time, but it seems like there's even less and it's become more abstract. Um, And to start with, I was wondering, you know, I read a few lines of your kind of formal academic bio, but do you want to say a little bit more about who you are and your work and kind of how you situate yourself? I yeah, I can try. I I teach at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. Um, and my work is in Black Studies, and I'm housed in the Gender Studies Department. Uh, my work is concerned with, um, I would say, Black geographies, um, geographies of liberation, and um, Black methodologies. And I've been thinking a lot uh, since the publication of Demonic Grounds about Black methodologies and radical or rogue interdisciplinarity, which is Lisa Lowe gave me the the term rogue interdisciplinarity, so I'll nod to her there. And just thinking a a lot about how Black scholars have always um, lived and written uh, through methodologies that are um, outside uh, academic um, understandings of what discipline and interdiscipline is. So yeah, so that's that's a little bit more about about me. I mean, I'm I I just am so uh, I'm I'm just so interested in how we can think relationally um, uh, in our intellectual and activist worlds, and how we can read musical texts or poems um, as theoretical texts, and read theoretical texts as sonic texts so um so there's a lot of i've you know spent a lot of time thinking about that and how that allows us to um, imagine liberation outside uh outside prevailing knowledge systems and outside of you know what they want us to be which is a very particular um uh very what they want us to be is a is a is a is a is objected. So, yeah. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about how you see the notion of demonic grounds in this current moment. Um, Kind of Tao and I discussing in preparation for this interview, we were thinking about how there's this collective takeover in the streets and demand for justice of George Floyd. And on one hand, you have the media kind of reframing it as a riot and criminal behavior. Um, but the potential and kind of what defines this moment is different. It feels like the way that you see this groundswell nationally revealing the unfinishedness of space, which you discuss about landscaping haunted, developed by old and new hierarchies of humanness. Um, we were thinking about Gleason's poetics of questioning in terms of how the protests shape and reveal parts of that land. But do you want to kind of share some of your, your thoughts about how you're thinking about demonic grounds right now? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I'm I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about demonic grounds in a few ways, but I do want to say, I mean, I think I should premise premise this with you know the difficulty of naming what's happening right at this moment, and and the demand to sort of clearly and succinctly have you know something radical to say or some sort of instruction. Um, and I and so for me, um, you know, what I've been doing is sort of just dizzy, like getting dizzy, trying to find a way to speak about um, black geographies and black humanities right right now. And I'm finding that I, I I'm I don't have the words. I think I have the feeling. I think I, I, I can I can, you know, I can feel it physiologically, but I can't pinpoint it um discursively so i think i think it might be i wonder if it's impossible to capture geographic specificity at this time so what so what i do is i sort of sit back and i think like i think about struggles under apartheid i think about the the 60s i think about post 60s i think about you know the black atlantic policing the crisis i think about golden gulag i think about dark matters i think about wretched of the earth and i go back to those books and other books and i and and then i think about that within the context of covid and the pandemic um and i think about that in relation to indigeneity and so on and so forth and i feel like i can't quite find any clarity and then i and then you know if we do think about glissant you know we see that that demand um to pinpoint this moment might not be the the right way to enter into the conversation. Um, we we perhaps shouldn't try and demarcate these geographies as very specific geographies at this time, um, and instead read and reread and share and think about um, how to sustain the struggle against white supremacy, um, and and just be okay with with the unknowability of, of what, uh, of what's happening, or at least, at least moments of unknowability, um, and not try and master or sort of take control of, of the, of the rebellion at this time. No, thank you. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about in rereading Demonic Grounds, I found that it demanded of me this like deep reflection, particularly in your citation practice and going back and rereading Dion Brand and reading slowly and thinking slowly. And how do you kind of negotiate this tension between um, that kind of like reflective, long scope practice and the visceral emotion of this moment? Yeah, I I think that I think I mean I've one of the things that I that I've start that I started to address after I finished Demonic Grounds, but I think is in there, but I didn't know what to do with it, is um is you know, sitting with ideas for a long time, um being patient with ideas, um reading uh, you know, across disciplines, reading things you don't like, reading things you love, um, and also just, you know, I think, I think what, one of the things I, I think that's really important if we read, for example, if we read Black Skin, White Masks, and we read Sylvia Winter, and there's many, many others, but I, you know, we notice that there's a real patient patience with ideas. And Kara Keeling has this wonderful analysis of, of, um, uh, of Fanon, where she talks about all the moments in, in that text where he's waiting and, and waiting for revolution. And so how do, and so I think there's a, there's some clues. What I, what I think I, I, I'm trying to get at is that there are clues within texts um, that are geared toward liberation, black liberation, abolition, and so on and so forth. There's a lot of pedagogical and activist clues within those texts that tell us to, you know, be ca- be cautious about about what revolution looks like, and be cautious about what um, freedom looks like, and to be patient with ideas, and to be generous with ideas too. And so, in terms of citation, it's it's you know, it's, it's up to us. And I think this is, this is, you know, the work of, of, 
people inside and outside the academy it's a, you know it's up it's our scholarly it's our scholarly job to sort of you know teach teach that patience to our students but also um uh um think generously and know and allow those texts to make connections and provide the that that provide the conditions for us to reimagine what liberation is. Because I think if we don't, then we'll situate ourselves within the prevailing system of knowledge and replicate and really replicate um, how things already are. And there'll be this sort of false sense of hope. I mean, you saw the, we saw this with feminism, especially white feminism, but other brands of feminism where it's like, you know, if I'm equal, if I'm, you know, if I get a good paycheck, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll be equal to, you know, but in the end, that's an oppressive, that's like working within the oppressive system as it already is. So, you know, citation allows us to think broadly, um, and to stretch out ideas. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's sort of where I, where I, where I going with and where I think in some ways demonic grounds left off. Yeah, I mean, it's really exciting to think about, I guess, the sequel to Demonic Grounds, Dear Science. So many of us are patiently anticipating it, waiting for it. And you talked about um, Fanon as practicing a kind of waiting, perhaps Black waiting. And yeah, it feels like you really have, um, in what I've heard from it, identified these methodologies of Black study. So citation being one of them waiting might be another. And I just, I really love the way that there's a kind of unruliness in this practice. And it's about pushing against these definitions, right? It's about redefining for ourselves. And I feel like that's such an inherently Black feminist praxis, which is about, like you said, regarding white feminism, right? It's not about asking for equity like black women are not saying, oh, I want to be treated or paid the same as a white man. We're saying let's dismantle and restructure the system. And I guess I wondered if you could speak to this character that you're citing in the beginning of Demonic Grounds, Dana, mm -hmm. and her dismemberment um, in the sense of actually losing a limb and what that time travel does. Because, you know, as I'm also a Black feminist scholar thinking about um, text, I just, I love that you're engaging us in Kindred in the world of Octavia Butler. And for me, Kindred has always had a soundtrack of Gil Scott Heron, the Bicentennial Blues, mm -hmm. where he talks about, you know, 1976 being this bicentennial year. And he identifies all of the different blues. And he says that the blues was born in the American wilderness, it was born on the beaches um, where the slave ships docked. Mm -hmm. So I'm just really struck by the way you kind of talk about the plantocratic mm -hmm. as the violent order. So feel free to respond to any of those or to music, um, sound, color. Um, yeah. Yeah, thank you. I, you know, I think, yeah, I... I I have a preoccupation with the plantation, um, you know, and I, I, you know, I think that I, we could look at Clyde Woods's work, right? And we could we could make this big connection at this moment. I think that that's perhaps what we should do is notice um, how his work on the plantation um, links it to the blues and how the blues is a critique of um, uh a critique of racial capitalism and how he and so many other black scholars just so beautifully insist that we cannot theorize black humanity without the creative text being part of that theoretical infrastructure. Um, whether that be stories or storytelling, whether that be the blues or an other genres of music, um, whether it be um, DJing, mashups, remixes, and so on and so forth. So there's this, there is this wonderful and gorgeous, um, and I, I can never quite name it, um, soundtrack, as you say, like this beautiful 
these beautiful creative texts that are paired with theoretical texts, that are paired with material geographies, um, material geographies that are meant to brutally and violently enclose Black people that that exceed those geographies of enclosure. And so for me, the plantation is that place and is that place where all of this kind of comes together um, in this really terrifying and beautiful way. And so what, you know, so that's what, you know, that's what plot and that's what Winter's novel and history plot and plantation is about. And that's, that's one of the many gifts that she gives us is to think about, not just the plantation, but to think about the plot on the plantation and these alternative forms of liberation that were being um, fostered and engendered by Black people who were who were living under under surveillance, under um, different forms of racial violence, and so on and so forth, and how those how that produced the conditions of creativity and redefining the humanity in terms that are completely outside how we how we are meant to be understood. And then we can sort of we can we can just sort of reel off of that and then think about Simone Brown's work in Dark Matters. And we can think about, you know, the concept of diaspora as the underside of nation and there and and outer national musical collaborations and things like that. So there's there's a lot um, there's a lot we can do. And I think that that's, you know, I think perhaps why I shy away from. Um, divide, defining or sort of trying to capture um, the rebellions that are happening and uprisings that are happening right now because there, there are moments of possibility there that perhaps don't have to be named, but we know are there. Um, beautiful creativity and like rich possibility. Right. And even now I feel like you put it so beautifully, like the sound exceeds the situation in the street. Like the sound, we hear that there's a soundtrack to the protest Mm -hmm. and it's one that's long been forming. And I mean, I I hear this in, when you're writing about 808s and heartbreak. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I guess I wonder if you would say more about sound in general and geography, because I find that sound locates us in the sense of a kind of echolocation it lets us know where we are in terms of this Black geography and diaspora, but it's also um, has this kind of like sublime potential to exceed and to, um, yeah, just exist in a way that performs a kind of, um, what's the word, like nourishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think um, there's a couple of things that are going through my head. And one is that, um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm working, I've, I did something with Rami Morrison, who's a visual artist, who's at USC right now. Um, and he's doing, sorry, they're doing these freedom quilts, um, uh, that are embedded with sound and th- their project is to sort of make those links between past and present, but also, you know, attend to to um attend to music and 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 soundtracks of freedom and again making that that connection between i guess affect and space and i and i i feel like there's this yeah this kind of there's i don't know i feel like with with music i've I've said this before in other contexts but i it allows me to fall in love um but not have to talk about how I'm feeling all the time. And I think that that's, yeah, the soundtrack, I mean, should we even call it a soundtrack, right? So, so is it because, because it might be fleeting or momentary Um, and, and can it, and how is, and I don't know, I'm, I sort, I'm sort of asking you in some ways, like, how is this asking you both? Like, how is this perhaps, how, how is the soundtrack, allowing us to rethink geography in itself so that we don't sort of end up um, producing a master tape of what's going on, if that makes sense. Does that, does that make sense at all? I'm yeah, it to- totally. 
yeah, I'm trying to hold together so much all the time in my work. Like I'm trying to like, and I think I think all all, all black scholars are are sort of doing this this wonderful like knitting together of so 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 much all at once. And yeah, totally. And I love like the precision of our language because I wonder if soundtrack is the right word, but master tape is really interesting. Yeah, master yeah. tape. I, yeah, or. Um, or, you know, Mark Campbell, uh, he's a black, black Canadian scholar, and he does such wonderful work on DJing and remixing um, and, and place. Um, and his work really illuminates the sort of the tension between belonging and unbelonging and how that is about um, music and music making. And, and, but also, you know, that refuses this kind of dismal, dismal dance of authenticity is what what Gilroy calls it right so it refuses to sort of just be about black authenticity or about you know spe the specificity of place but it's about how the the project of making music is you know tightly located for a moment and then it sort of explodes into these other possibilities that we can't quite capture um and I think that that's I mean and, and there's 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 some really wonderful work in sound studies, Tao. I think you could probably speak to this that that uh, that looks at those kinds of tensions between the very specificity of of making music and and what you cannot quite capture because it's unspeak it's unspeakable and it's something else altogether. Yeah, I feel this is always the tension. And Khadija's teaching a class on oral history, so I feel like there are parallels in the orality there. Yeah, I was just going to say that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, although for me, I feel like, well, maybe this this makes sense to you, too. It feels very unresolved in my mind. I have to say, reading your work, Ruha Benjamins, Christina Sharp, Simone Brown, that was a lot of what inspired We Be Imagining as a series of programming at Columbia in terms of how do we not just acknowledge the way in which the university has seen Harlem and the community at large as a, as a site of extraction, rather than including them both in the audience and on the stage, but also thinking about how do we bring to bear different epistemic forms? How do we have the dancer beside the academic panel, not just as a form of entertainment, but as another way of knowing the world? Or the chess player from West Forth as part of kind of all training us to look at things from, from a different angle. Um, and I guess kind of adjacent to Tao's question is that I was thinking about the quote that you start the last chapter in Demonic Grounds um, from Octavia Butler saying, there's no end to what a living world will demand of you. And there's so many layers to that to me. On one level, I mean, to be, to be Black, to be Black in America, to be Black in academia, so exhausting. <laughs> and there's just one level of just like, you know, the responsibility to your people, to your community, to the work is so deep and it feels exhausting when academia demands a certain epistemic form that washes away kind of the history that you bring that's in excess of your formal training. But on the other hand, there's this question of what is the relationship between the academy and the streets? And I was kind of thinking about um, in Brooklyn on Friday, there was a New York Police Department paddy wagon that was set on fire um, and two people were arrested. One was a Pakistani-American attorney and another was, a, I believe, Black American prep for prep graduate from Princeton. And I was thinking about that a lot. Right. Because I was thinking, you know, on one level, the Princeton Black Studies Department is phenomenal. And I and I see so many of these college students in the streets and I wonder how much of that was a success. Right. People thinking critically about their role in this moment. But at the other hand, did it make sense for them to follow that emotion and then basically decimate their lives and not be connected to a broader movement that could have intervened to protect them? Um, I'm thinking about how black studies departments kind of formed from movements in the 60s and 70s. Like, what do what do we fight for now? How do you see how do you see what the world is demanding of you now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a I mean, I think the, the reason I love that Butler quote 
and is because she's talking about openness. And so I think I don't think the demand I don't think the demand is a set of instructions that if we follow them they'll be resolved. Um, and I and you as you said like things are unresolved and I this is you know. Um, and I think that we have to see the promise in what is unresolved and, and notice that the, the struggle is ongoing but not resolved. Because the moment it becomes resolved, um, we've, we've, found a, we've often found a solution um, that, that sort of replicates the conditions, it replicates conditions of racism and, other for, and, and racism and other forms of oppression. And so you see that with the absorption of um, feminism into the academy. You see that with the absorption of Black studies, or what would, you know, as African American studies specifically, right? Not Black studies, but African American studies into, into the academy, as though that that's, as though that that's an instruction, like the instruction was there, like we are oppressed, give us, you know, institutional, um, institutional acknowledgement. Um, and so we, we, we know, I think, I think that we have to, we have to hold closely and in our hearts, like in our in our broken hearts, actually, and um, that idea that the struggle is ongoing and it's never resolved, and continually return to that, um, and return to that openness um, uh, that the 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 60s opened up something. It didn't, re- you know, the the institutionalization did not resolve anything, um, and I and you see this in the work of you know in the work and activism of scholars like Ruthie Gilmore, where there isn't a, there, 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 the institution provides a particular kind of intellectual conversation that is necessarily, you know, in relation to um, abolition. And, and we know that, that if we understand that as a relational process, then the, we recognize that the walls of the institution are porous um, and so I think that that's, you know, to go back to the Butler quote, which is, you know, if if the world is living, I mean, the reason I love that is because she says there's no end to what a living world, there's no end to what a living world will demand of you. And so if we read that sentence as a full, like for its fullness, um, what we see is that the living world and the you are interconnected um, and that the living world is that means plants it means soil it means animals it means that the world is a vibrant ecology and we live in relation to it and so to make that those connections um, uh, you know those sort of interdisciplinary or methodological and intellectual connections between the self and elsewhere um, I think that's the kind of work we always have to do. We have to keep that. We have to. We have to continually strive for that openness and the impossibility of liberation, because knowing liberation, I don't know. It's just not working. <laughs> it's not working. Knowing what it is and what it should be and telling people what to do isn't working. The instructions aren't working. Um, in a, you know, and so I think that that's that's perhaps one way to think about Black studies within within the academy is through that that openness and the porousness where you have to have conversations with have difficult conversations with worlds that that are in excess of of of. Um, of the academy, and that's I for me. That's what Black Studies has always been, and it does go back to what I said about music and things like that. Because you can't, you can't sort of, you can't de-link Black intellectual thought from these creative texts that cannot be contained by the idea of intellectual thought. Hmm. No, I'm just really, I'm really processing this. I mean, I think part of it, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this case of um, the attorneys that were arrested um, as I was there in Brooklyn uh, on that Friday night during those protests. And I'm just, it felt so raw and so angry and so frankly, like racially diverse. It was interesting. There was no signs like from the organized left. It just felt very fragmented and just raw emotion. 
Mm-hmm. And I just wonder, maybe changing the question from the Black academic to like Black intellectual thought, as you mentioned, thinking about the ways in which um, as a society we've been fragmented. Like I listen a lot to Meek Mills talking about mass incarceration, and it's not clear to me that he's necessarily in conversation with somebody like Ruth Gilmore, your work. And I just wonder thinking about the blues, thinking about jazz. I mean, the origin of that was also a radical commons where you had people from the neighborhood coming together to see these like public concerts in Central Park. And I'm just wondering in thinking about um, reimagining liberation, reimagining black studies, what is the role of intellectuals? Like how much of it is more nurturing these relationships outside of the process of academic work, which often requires isolation. Like mm-hmm. what I'm curious to hear, and this is something Tao and I talk a lot about, about like what does a radical commons look like? Because I don't have the answers, but it just feels like more people need to be in conversation with a more diverse set of experiences and not in the like pro forma diversity inclusion way, um, mm-hmm. but in terms of like legitimately different, different life experiences and, you know, lived experience with surveillance, people studying surveillance, kind of even within black intellectual thought. So, um, sorry, that was long on my end, but I'm curious. No, that's great. I always need like a, you know, I, I, I appreciate that a lot. I think that I think, I mean, one for me, I feel like the striving to create a new commons is the wrong is, is, or is obfuscates or obscures existing, um, existing relational practices that aren't necessarily mapped out or clear um, for, you know, that, you know, there's not posters around or whatever that say, go to this and then you'll be free or whatever. So, so for me, it is, um, for me, it is, and this is, I'm borrowing from um, Ruthie Gilmore as well, but also thinkers like Sylvia Winter is like, what, what existing practices of liberation are already in place? What, kind of um, sites of abolition or abolition geographies are already in place. What are the possibilities and limitations of those geographies? How can I enter in? What will happen? So I feel, so I think that, I think that we have to, we have to really, you know, pay close attention to what we may not see because what we are being told is out there. Um, you know, is only a particular way of thinking and instead recognize the longstanding work of um, activists and intellectuals who have already created these spaces that we can enter in and they, they can talk about the failures and the successes of those of those of those places. And I think like the moment you're talking about that, you, you know, you said it was fragmented and raw and and so on and so forth. Which is, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, of course, and it's like, it's dizzying, which is why I can't, I can't place it. Um, and I mean, place in the, in the geographic sense. Um, and I don't think you can either. Um, and I think that's okay, right? Because it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's extremely meaningful that the, that it's it that at this moment it is undefinable. This is a this is a this is like such like like terrible possibility. Like this is you know, and I think yeah. So that's that's where I go with that is sort of that tension between that terrible possibility, but also um, falling back on you know those people who are already doing work in this area and and have clues for us and have lessons for us and pedagogies for us to not fall back onto normative ways of living in this world. Um, And so that could be anything to me. Like for me, like it could be like, you know, rereading wretched of the earth in isolation (laughs) or it could because you know because you can't go outside because going outside right now is dangerous for you and your family um or it's joining joining the the conversation and the rebellions um if that's if and being safe about that um but yeah like i said like as soon as I start saying this, like as soon as I start like saying, well, maybe we should read Wretched of the Earth and maybe we should go out 
and be on, you know, I, I immediately start to feel like physiologically incapable. Like I actually don't know what to do. And because I don't know what to do, perhaps this is, you know, like this is that I have to sit with that for a bit um, and not and not try. And I think that's what Glissant's talking about in that. You know, I do think that's what a poetics of questioning is. I do think that's what the open boat was right at the beginning of poetics of relations. Sorry, I'm going on and on. It's just like very excited about like, you know, thinking about these things. But I think that that's that's the that's the urgent that's the urgent, you know, um, lesson that he's telling us is that open boat was fucked up, right? They, 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 that was fragmented too. It was seriously, like, it was like, like it, like I can't, you know, he puts it in words that I can't repeat. And so, yeah. So then, but what that does is it, it creates a totally different understanding of what liberation is. You know, that's not about liberal individualism. It's not about, you know, kowtowing to the state. It's about that fragmentation. It's about impossibility. It's about being dizzy. It's about opacity. Um, yeah. I agree. I mean, I feel like the open boat is fucked up. <laughs> and it kind of, in the way that Glissant is talking about it, draws me to a question of the ocean as a way of... Um, connecting with what Khadija just said about the commons and this question of isolation that we've been discussing. Because for me, it's more of the space of the port city that excites me mm-hmm. as opposed to the commons necessarily. And maybe that's because I'm coming out of a tradition of Caribbean thought and am drawing on people like Brathwaite and him saying that, you know, the unity is submarine and glissant and looking to the ocean. But it feels critically for me about a question of geography, but also pushing against those geographies really to kind of challenge nationalism. So I wonder if you would speak to, I guess, the question of nationalism and geography, mm-hmm. because, um, so I'm Black British and yeah, I migrated to this country, to the US when I was seven, So I kind of live in interesting relation to African-American studies and thought, um, as well as like language and accent. But I wonder if like Black Canada, (laughs) to, um, you know, put you all under one category, like has feelings about these questions of geography and where Black Canada would be situated within this kind of um, question of the ocean. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, Camille Turner's done some wonderful work on slave ships being built in Newfoundland. Um, she's a uh, visual artist and, um, Sandra Brewster's done some interesting work on, you know, Jamaican rum in also in Newfoundland. And we can think about it through codfish as well. Um, and, and things like that. So there are these connections, um, like to the port cities, I think that are really meaningful that I, that I know very, very little about, which is why I'm like Camille Turner. Um, But I, but I do think, I mean, Canada is such an black Canada and Canada is such a, you know, they have such a, we have such a messy relationship with transatlantic slavery where it was here, but it was not as monumental as in the Caribbean and, and the U S where, there was, you know, um, uh, where you can go to the Ontario archives and they'll tell you that slavery didn't exist, where you can, you know, where we have our neighbor to the south where where blackness is real, right? And so, (laughs) and that's where real racism happens. Um, And yet at the same time, look over and notice the missing and murdered indigenous women. And so there's this, it's a very fraught relationship with colonialism um, and racism. Um, And in my, in Demonic Grounds, I do talk about like how we might conceptualize Black Canada as a surprise. Um, as a geographic surprise, but and which is often taken up. But what a lot of people don't talk about is that that chapter is also about wonder, and about curiosity, um, and about how what happens if we think about Black Canada as as a moment to wonder about what is what is possible 
when the nation state has produced um, blackness as an absented presence and as a spatial or geographic impossibility. And I, I think that black, I mean, we're in a, we're in a really uncomfortable position right now. Um, you know, black studies minors are propping up. Oh, I'm, I'm doing one at Queens, right? Um, we're hoping to get an endowed chair in black studies at Queens as well. And this is a response to blackface parties at Queens, right? This is in response to racism at Queens is, you know, enfold it into an equity narrative. But can we, can we, can we do that without, and also be, um, intellectually rebellious. And I think, I think that that is of course a possibility, but, um, the, the intellectual rebelliousness will be disappointing often, um, and, and be, um, yeah, and be shut down a lot. Um, but I think that, yeah, so I think, so that's, that's where I sit. I mean, I, but as I said, we're at a moment like where, when I wrote Demonic Grounds, there was no Black Studies department. Um, now there's, I think, something at York. I'm not sure what's going. I think it's a certificate. There's a Black Studies chair and minor at Dalhousie. There's the upcoming one um, at Queen's. And so you see this, like I said, this uncomfortable institutionalization of Blackness um, happening. And it's, it's a spatial project. It's a way to say spatially, we acknowledge that you, that you are here, um, but it's fraught. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. It's very, I'm like so uneasy because I always loved the idea that the impossibility of Black Canada created all this, the impossibility of Black Canada created for me um, analytical possibilities where you don't get sort of folded into the nation. Um, if we're not here, then we can define blackness as fluid. We can define blackness as this, as that, and so on and so forth. And it can be shifting and changing and not beholden to um, the same kind of nationalistic underpinnings that say African-Americanness can, not always, but can get sort of caught up in. Mm -hmm. um, but this new institutionalization is making me very nervous. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, I think similar things are happening with Black Britain. And just a tiny side note I wanted to mention, and I know we could talk about music forever, but this morning I was listening to Joni Mitchell Blue um, because of this new course I'm teaching on sound and color. And I was drawn to the line where she talks about um, in the blue TV screen light, she drew a map of Canada. Mm -hmm. And it just had me thinking about Prince doing a cover of The Case of You and just mm -hmm. this kind of connection. But mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I could say something. I mean, I, I, I adore Joni Mitchell so much. And I think about, um, but I also, you know, I, I live in Canada and I have to live with <laughs> all the people that have tried to be Joni Mitchell. <laughs> And they can't, exactly. and they can't do it, and they can't do it, and 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 it's, and that's what you hear on the CBC, not Joni Mitchell, <laughs> but anyway. Oh dear. <laughs> um, you can cut that out. Um, sorry, <laughs> or not, or not. Um, yeah, I mean, she, yeah, I think the Canada soundtrack itself is is I, again, I'll I'll I'll. I'll lean on those who know better than me in terms of, which is, you know, I always, my good friend and interlocutor, Mark Campbell, who's done this wonderful work with uh, called the Northside Hip Hop Archives um, or Northside Hip Hop. And he's archived all the hip hop uh, work from posters and mixtapes to, you know, um, uh, hip hop shows and so on and so forth. And it's just this beautiful um, preservation uh, of of black Canadian uh, creative texts, um, and as well as indigenous hip hop, um, yeah. But again, another fraught relationship is Canada and its music and its musicians. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Brian yeah. Adams is also Canadian. Oh. <laughs> so. <laughs> I think Tina Turner used to call him Dennis the Menace, and I'm not sure why, but anyway. 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I have I have a little bit of a, a different question. And so something that really stood out to me is that I research a lot around predictive analytics in the child welfare system, and I'm around a lot of data policy people. And the conversation about algorithmic justice is often one of will we or will we not include this data? What types of data? Um, does this accurately represent people? And to me, what I appreciate is you explore this idea of the ecclesiastical reason and this idea of being um, possessed by a demon. But then there's also this mathematical explanation and thinking about how Black thought and the existence of a Black geography reveals the uncertainty, um, which I think couples nicely with what you were talking about, about the impossibilities of, of citizenship and of land. And so I was hoping that you could say more about the role of uncertainty as like part mm-hmm. of your assessment of what's going on. Yeah, I, I can try. I mean, the, like the the demonic grounds, as you know, is from Sylvia Winter's essay on settling the demonic ground of Cal- Caliban's women. And I, it's really one of my favorite essays because it's one where she explicitly, one of the only ones where she explicitly engages feminism and black feminism, but she uses, she uses the, um, she uses physicists to think through the demonic model Um, and her pairing of physics with Caribbean feminism, I think is really, really interesting. And she, and, 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 and in doing this, she's um, uh, this pairing, she's um, like, of course, like giving us a really lovely model for, interdisciplinary work that com- that pairs the the hard sciences with um, black studies and but also I think what I really love about that is it a lot she gives us the conceptual tools to address um, to address uh, how in in the case where where she's talking about it Caribbean women are so radically outside Eurocentric understandings of what it means to be human. So there, so that that idea that the demonic grounds that she's taking from physics allows her to conceptualize Caribbean women outside Eurocentric understandings of what it means to be human. Yet at the same time, she cannot dehumanize them. So she, it gives the so so the mathematics and the physics give her the analytical nuance, not to produce Caribbean women as outside. Um, and therefore on demonic grounds that are outside modernity or outside um, European modernity and so on and so forth, but rather tethered to it because the, the, and, and because they're tethered to it yet situated outside of it. And because they are sort of nested within that, that which they can, they can imagine completely different ways of, and, and articulate and enunciate and write completely different ways of, of, of what it means to be human or what liberation looks like and so on and so forth. So her, so her, so there's a couple of things I'm trying to get at here, I think. And one is that is the, is the methodological, the methodolo- her methodology, which is that pairing of the hard science and black studies or Caribbean studies, but also the way that she is able to, to not replicate. Like she doesn't go where we think she's going to go because we may read this and think, Oh, so Caribbean women are outside of prevailing systems of knowledge and therefore they create a counter narrative. And she says, absolutely not. It's the, they are, they are, they are firmly within, they're firmly situated within modernity. And it's that tethering that, that, that she, that allow tethering to modernity that allows us to completely rethink, um, uh, what they can offer in terms of liberation. And so that's where the question of uncertainty, um, took her intellectually, I think, um, as a site of possibility, and it breaks the recursive or, rep- or the recursive system itself. Like the the presence of the Caribbean women break can break that recursive system, and um, and that prevailing system of knowledge that sort of just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. Um, 
and, you know, coming up with a new form of liberation and then it gets folded back in and then coming up with a new one and then it gets folded back in and institutionalized. And instead she's, she, that, that analytical, I don't know, hinge or whatever, you know, what she's doing. Um, yeah. Allows us to do much, much more. Oh, thank you. That's very provocative. I'm just like, I feel like everything that you say, I have to kind of marinate and sit with. Um, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just thinking about that. Um, and I, what? I, sorry, did you want to say that? No, I just, I just want to. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think that's just that. That's what the demonic grounds are. Is like this. I think. I think. I think it's very tempting to think about alternative spaces and alternative ways of being as outside modernity. Um, and therefore a counter narrative, but what winter, and I would argue like, this is what the black Atlantic is about as well. And we see this elsewhere, but it's about the conditions of being human within that system. That's all. Anyway, I think that, I hope that makes sense. No, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and I, we could speak to you for several more hours. I just want to be mindful of time. And so we have a ritual at the end of the show where we all go through anything you want to recommend, something you're reading or listening to. Um, but before segging to that, I wanted to ask if you wanted to talk a little bit about your forthcoming book and kind of where where you're heading with that. Um, sure. Uh, so Dear Science is, um, it's Dear Science and Other Stories, and it's about um, as I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, it's about Black methodologies. And it takes us through a few, I don't know, case studies, I guess, um, ranging from algorithms, actually, and interdisciplinary work with uh, computer science, um, uh, lists, consciousness, um, and uh, uh, plantations and so on and so forth. And it takes us through these different case studies and thinks about them as um, in relation to the radical interdisciplinary work of Black studies scholars. Um, so it's, it's, and, and it, you know, it's, it's an imperfect book, but it's a book that came out of, as I mentioned, demonic grounds and what couldn't, couldn't be said there and what wasn't said there um if you notice that book has doesn't have an explicit methodology <laughs> it just sort of like just a you know um and so it was years of thinking about how methodology can be extremely oppressive um how methodology uh adores outcomes that are legible how um, methodology um, is tied to discipline, how it's tied to how and how disciplines are enfleshed um, and linked to racialized and gendered identities, whether that be ethnic studies, gender studies, or whatever. And so it tries to think outside of that by by looking closely at uh, black 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 study scholars and 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 uh, creative folks that um, that don't do that and 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 the big the big take I don't know if there's a big takeaway from it like I said it's imperfect I I you know it's uh, it's about I mean I think we can think about it as how do we create an ethical distance from when we're when we witness uh, particular forms of violence and racial violence, how do we contend with? How do we cite violence? Why do we want to cite it? And why do we want to cite racism? And what does that mean if it when when what does that mean when citation is is tied to a political economy where you get more money and more grants? for basically saying indigenous people are oppressed. Um, it's, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a whole lot of stuff like that. Um, and I hope, you know, I hope, I hope people find it useful for thinking about 
how we can do work, do good work, do our best work in the academy, our very best work in the academy. Um, when we are, when we recognize that the academy is unkind uh, to um, marginalized people. Thank you. I mean, honestly, thank you for keeping it real. Um, one of the things I really enjoy about doing this podcast is that I feel like for the general public and because of various, I mean, I don't know. So I, as, as like an outsider insider, I kind of feel like academia a lot of times is the mob and it distorts people's relationships, but there's so much that I love, um, about working with these ideas and I love your work and it's just, um, I'm really grateful that you could be kind of raw and honest here about what you're wrestling with. I know, I know a lot of what you're thinking about and feel, you don't have the words for it, things that Tao and I are wrestling with. And I know that we're not the only ones. So I really, I really appreciate that. Um, and then moving on. So what I wanted to ask is our, our rituals, if you could recommend something that you're reading or you're listening to or watching to our listeners, it could be completely off topic or on. Um, just like to share this kind of tradition. Yeah. I always, when I have people Skype into my classes or, or, um, talk to my students my question is always what are you listening to what are you listening to so um i uh i am listening to charday's still and i'm still listening to millie jackson and i'm still listening to betty davis um those are you know i i say still because i feel like i'm always talking about particular types of particular musicians um I'm enjoying Hazel Carvey's new book. I'm still reading it. It's taken me a while. I find that this is the most important book I've read in a really long time. And Tao, I haven't read your interview with, with Carvey yet because I want to finish it before I read it. But oh. I just, yeah, no, this is just how I do things. It's like, I, you know, I read, I won't read the preface until I read the novel or something. So <laughs> but I'm like, I just find, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm really loving, I'm really loving that book. Uh, and so the, that's where I am. And just, um, just trying to, you know, um, not really watching anything right now. Um, just trying to hold it together and, you know, enjoy time with my, with my, my son, Ellison. Yeah. Thank you. Tao, would you like to share? Sure. Yeah. And Catherine, let me know what you think once you look at the um, public books series. It was really fun making a soundtrack because I don't know if you hear it as well, but there's so much music within Hazel Carby's Imperial Intimacies. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I just want to thank both of you. This has been such a rich conversation. And I feel like the three of us, like we are the glitch in the matrix and we can break that recursivity. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, and I'm also reminded, like Peter Hudson reminded me in a conference about discipline, you know, being this word that has to do with like corporal punishment. So I feel like Catherine, you're just such a beautiful model for work that can be done in feminist and black studies. So the person that I'm reading um, right now and returning to is named Jota Mambasa. So they are an Afro-Brazilian artist, um, queer, non-binary, and self-proclaimed as a mutant. <laughs> so um, the short story of theirs that I'm uh, reading and assigning for my students is called 2021. And it basically imagines what they say is less of a dystopia, but is about this kind of underground infrastructure and hierarchy of what it means to live in Bolsonaro's Brazil. So it's about Black genocide and a kind of underground world of tunnels just trying to survive. Mm. 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 Dope. I feel like everybody's always recommending such good books and then the list of haven't finished yet keeps growing. Um, one of the things that I've been thinking about is Sway did an interview with Nikki Giovanni uh, when her book about the utopia came out, but was talking to her about her thug life tattoo and her relationship with Tupac Shakur and just 
to me, it was just so emotional. I really identify as the hip hop generation. And to see this like elder in black studies and amazing like performance arts have the hate you give little children F's everybody was mm-hmm. just incredible. Um, and I think a lot of Tupac's legacy was I saw him give a speech. I mean, I, I saw the video um, to was it the Nation of Islam. I'm trying to remember, but he was basically he was talking about how you guys abandoned us. You tell us now that we're just left in the streets dealing with drug dealers. But when you all got locked up or you went to go work in academia, who was left but the drug dealers to interact mm-hmm. with us? And to me, that just meant so much to see that intergenerational connection between Nikki Giovanni as a person, her work, and then with Tupac Shakur. So then the thing I just started reading, and I'm really excited to meet him because he's going to be, well, I I, I knew him growing up, but to meet him, he's going to be part of the Distinguished Speaker series at Cornell is Joshua Bennett, his new book, Being Property, Once Myself, Blackness and the End of Man. I love, love, love the sobbing school. And he was right on the money because I, I think like the the text on the back is that you can't understand what it means to be alive right now without studying grief. Mm. Um, and that he just holds so much space for that, for that kind of loss and also like the vernacular of the everyday interwoven with larks. He's always talking about larks. Um, which is taking on a new meaning now with uh, Amy Cooper calling on the cops, calling the cops on the other Cooper, mm. bird watching. Yeah. The Canadian, the Canadian Amy Cooper. Uh, yeah, she's- and she's Canadian. <laughs> oh, I didn't know. Yeah, so it's, 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 it, it, it matters. It matters to yeah. Canadians. Anyone who's Canadian matters to Canadians, though. They're Canadians. It's <laughs> <laughs> Canadian. Um, so with that, and I hear my kids about to riot, is that this is the We Be Imagining podcast. Please write us, reach out. We're at webeimagining at gmail.com. You can like, subscribe, review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, what, every major platform that's found. And thank you so much, Catherine, Tao. This is it. Thank you, Khadija. Thank you, Tao.